Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where the skies are at least smoke-free for the moment. Um, that's not really much of a joke lately around around this area to, to joke about whether your sky is smoke-free or not, because, you know, lately it's been fire, disease, and floods have kind of dominated my, my week. I'm starting to think that I live in Portland. Um, so so um, we've we're got a lot to talk about on the show today. And, and, I'll, and I'm going to start with the fire part, um, and we'll get on to disease and floods. Um, but I always want to remind folks that I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. And if you don't want to talk about the depressing topics of fire, disease, and floods, I get it. Just give me a call, 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets me know you want to get in on the show. And, uh, Robin, I'm getting a little bit of MIP. It sounds like your mic's hot or something. Ouch. Nope. Nope. Okay. Um it might just be I have a new monitor, and it must be doing something funky with the sound um, for me today. Uh, and so bear with me as I try and, and deal with new audio. Uh, so um, it's been an interesting week. And uh, I started out, you know, this weekend, you know, thinking I was going into the weekend, a nice, pleasant weekend, sort of, you know, absentmindedly getting ready for the weekend, trying to get a little bit of work done. And I get interrupted by a phone call from the county uh, public information officer to inform me that, by the way, there's a couple fires um, nearby here. And at that time, it was only two they knew about. One was just up above the reservoir off of Clear Lake and Kirk Pond Road. And uh, the other one was at Deming and Arnold. And Deming and Arnold is like a mile north of my house. Um, and at that time, the wind was blowing a gale from the north. <laughs> and, uh, 
And I stepped outside during the phone call. I was like, oh, my God, I could smell the smoke as soon as I walked out outside. Um, so that's always a little startling way to get your weekend going is, is hey, Commissioner, there's a couple fires nearby. Um, and then, you know, no sooner than we had gotten done with that, we found out about a third fire that started being reported at 126 in Red Oak, which is real close to the intersection of 126 and the cutoff to go to Notai um, there uh, um, next to the, you know, between there and the way, way station on 126. So kind of you start thinking then somebody might have been driving on Clear Lake and then swung down and went down Arnold and Deming and came back onto uh, Territorial, turned right out 126 maybe and hit that place. And then the next fire gets reported at um, Vaughn and Penn Road, which is a little further south, which was if you take that turn off the no tie and then make a left at, at the store, you're on Vaughn Road. So it's like it really seemed like, you know, the order these were reported in that somebody was driving through the area setting fires. Really scary thing in this kind of weather. Um, fortunately, uh, if it was somebody doing that intentionally, they didn't do a real good job. And um, thanks to multiple uh, responding agencies, I mean, we had Mohawk Fire here and and agency South Lane Fire, um, ODF Lane Fire Authority, of course, is the local that covers this area. But we had, I think, 12 or 13 agent, different agencies responding um, and managed to stop and control all four of those fires and get them out. Um, but that's how the weekend started. You know, that kind of gets your heart up. And, it, you know, as a, you know, I've had a couple big fires in our, in, in my district here in West Lane County. And it's always a little bit of a, a nerve wracking thing. You don't want them to get, get a hold and get away. And, and particularly the one that was at, at Deming and Arnold, um, everything to the South that's rural residential with uh, properties with livestock and, and, uh, horses that aren't easy to move, and and if it goes a little bit further, it gets into the actual town portion of Elmira, not just the rural residential suburbs of beautiful downtown Elmira. And after that is Veneta, you know, a, a town of 5,000 people. Um, not a good place for a fire to start uh, if it had gotten away. So the weekend progresses blissfully on. Well, I shouldn't say quite blissfully because my weekend also included um, following my wife's ambulance to the ER and uh, having a small problem on Sunday. Uh, fortunately, she's recovered from that, and I won't go get into uh, my wife's you know, personal life on the show here, but when I was sitting in the ER waiting to check out, which was taking forever because apparently Mackenzie Willamette uh, had new people doing their financial billing portion of the ER, and we had been released from the actual ER out into the lobby, and we just had to wait to get to, you know, sign all the papers and stuff. Um, took an hour, but while I'm sitting there, I start realizing there's been multiple fire starts, you know, I'm getting reports, and, and finally got a phone call from our PIO again. There's been multiple fire starts in the Mapleton area all along Sweet Creek Road. 
and I'm, I, I'm going deja vu all over again. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is really getting pretty scary. Uh, I, and the whoever did these actually did them close enough together that they ran, the fires ran together and, and got big enough that it got, got going and got away um, and became a pretty serious uh, fire in some very steep, um, heavily brushed terrain there up above Sweet Creek Road and uh, really was a pretty scary thing and particularly for the uh, folks on uh, Hadsel Creek um, which is where the, the kind of the valley the fire went up um, those people it must have been a really scary time for them uh, fortunately uh, I, I just can't say enough about the folks at at um, Oregon Department of Forestry. Uh, they got on top of the fire pretty quickly, and by the time I went to a fire briefing at noon the next day, they had handline around most of the the fire the the three main groups of, of fire. Um, they were they needed to finish a couple of them. Um, they were bringing in a, an outside crew to manage the fire. Uh, I saw folks, you know, an ambulance, uh, support ambulance coming from Scapoose, uh, and I, the assistant incident commander was up from Josephine County. It's great when we can bring in those outside resources, but they've really done a great job in the last couple of days. Um, they've got the fire more or less uh, surrounded, um, they're calling it 15% contained. I think it's really, um, I think they're really on top of it. Unfortunately, though, we had we did have to evacuate those folks out of Hadsel Creek. And, um, you know, if Robin wants to put up our little uh, graphic for those watching Facebook Live, people hear these terms, level one, level two, level three evacuations. Um, gotta just think of those like the start of a race. Ready? set go level one is just telling you get ready we might tell you you're going to have to go level two is like get set because we're probably going to tell you to go you know you better you know level one sort of start gathering up the pets and the animals get stuff packed you know get you know, get you know, sort of get yourself ready level level two is kind of like you better start putting stuff in your car Level three is get the hell out of there now. Go. And we had to issue level three for those folks. Um, the eight structures up there uh, were under level three. We've had to issue level two evacuation notices to 30 other uh, residences, um, mostly along uh, Sweet Creek Road in that area. And we issued level one to another 100 um, further down at Barnhart Creek Road, Maple Island Road. Um, there are roads that come off of Sweet Creek Road that basically are dead end, and the only way out is is by Sweet Creek Road. Other than there is a back way that you can go way up and over the hill, end up coming down through Dune City to get to Highway 101, but it takes about an hour and a half because it's all windy gravel roads in, in the middle of the forest. 
But that now has become the only way in and out for those folks because today we have, and this is probably our, our most recent news about fire, we had to close Sweet Creek Road from 126 to milepost three. So it's no longer open to, to the public for traffic. And that's because you know, anyone that's been on Sweet Creek Road there, there's a sec, there's sections of it where literally the rivers on one side and the road actually is cantilevered by from the cliff face out kind of over the river. And there's this cliff going up in it. And up above the cliff is a very steep hillside that's forested. Well, stuff's rolling off of that hillside, off the cliff, and then dropping onto Sweet Creek Road. Flaming logs, boulders, dirt, you know, um, doesn't make for very safe driving. And I have to give my hats off to our public work folks because they've been out there 24 hours a day since this got going, helping manage Sweet Creek Road so that at least the fire personnel can use it. You know, they, they take that risk that a log might roll off the, the hill onto their vehicle. Um, we can't allow the public to take that risk. But the firefighters to try and get to and from their fire lines quicker, um, that's, that's, you know, something our public works folks have been doing. And, you know, and it's been an amazing cooperation of a lot of agencies. Uh, our public works folks are involved. The sheriff's department's been involved. Um, our Marine Patrol deputies have been down there trying to keep the river clear for the uh, equipment dipping the river. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, some people just don't listen, got out there in kayaks, and so now they actually had to issue a river closure, which is not a great thing because it's salmon season down there. That's that, that, big part of the economy of this area. So, you know, during peak salmon fishing season, just about, well, it's not, it's getting pretty close there. Um, some, somebody decided to, to light a bunch of marble muralette habitat on fire uh, and cause all these issues for the local residents there. And thank you to the Lane County Sheriff's Office and the Oregon State Police they caught the person responsible. And he's now being held at the Lane County Jail. Um, and he's a resident of Mapleton. It, it, it just, it, it, I, what goes through somebody's head? But apparently this is not his first arrest. I saw a mugshot from last year for him. I didn't see what, what he was arrested for. Um, but just, uh, I don't get what goes through somebody's mind that wants to start fires like this, particularly fires in an area where people live. And having been a resident of Mapleton, he had to know that uphill where he was starting those fires, there were houses. It wasn't just all forest land. We haven't yet, you know, I haven't heard whether or not they've been able to connect them with the Friday fires. I'm kind of hoping they do so that I can feel comfortable that whoever did the Friday fires is behind bars too. Um, but they may have absolutely no connection between those two in, two sets of incidences. In fact, there's no guarantee that all four of the fires on Friday are even interconnected with each other. Um, but so that's kind of the, the fire portion of my, my week is, is you know, 
locally right here, right around Fern Ridge, Vanita area, no tie, Crow, you know, got even close to Crow there at Penn and Vaughn. Um, you, you it makes you shake your head. And then um, it just, you know, this fire in Mapleton, again, makes you shake your head. Uh, so that's kind of the fire portion of things. I'll pause before I start talking about disease and floods. Just to remind folks, this is a call-in show, and you can reach us at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the show because um, that's our flag because there are people that call in just to listen to the show because sometimes you're not close to a computer, you can't go to a blog talk radio site, or you can't find us through iTunes or on Facebook Live. Some people will just call on their cell phones and listen to the show over their cell phones, particularly if they're driving. Um, so as we move through the, uh, the the three of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that seem to, to have ridden into my life this week, uh, we get down to, to disease and pestilence. <laughs> and of course, once again, it's all things COVID in, in Lane County. Um, and we had to uh, extend our local state declaration of emergency uh, for Lane County uh, as a public health emergency. And it's kind of getting to the point where you're like, okay, why do you guys have to keep declaring, you know, extending this emergency? You know, we've only had six deaths in Lane County in six months from COVID. That little, you know, groundswell we had, which of cases um, has seemed to simmer down, although we now have this, this outbreak in a, in a nursing home. Uh, and, you know, but it still kind of makes you wonder what, why are we continuing to extend the emergency? And I actually pressed that question a little bit at, at the board meeting because I asked, I said, you know, at our current rate of deaths in Lane County, if we had six over six months, that's 12 in a year, based on our population, that's 3.2 deaths per 100,000 annually from COVID in Lane County. Oregon, we suffer about 11.7 deaths per 100,000 from motor vehicle accidents. Almost four times the amount. Yet no one stops driving because there's this risk of death. You know, so it's kind of like, where, when, when, it, when is the emergency over? And I get it that, you know, one of the reasons we ha why we have such a low rate is because the emergency is in place and some of the restrictions that are, that are in place. Um, and if we lift those, then that death rate goes up. Understand that. Um, but my question was, what is, um, what does it look like when we're allowed that emergency? What numeric statistics or do we need to have a vaccine? Does the vaccine have to have been widely distributed? Does it have to be out for six months? You know, at what point do we say declare victory and say we no longer need to be in a state of emergency? Can somebody describe that to me and give me specific metrics 
that says, all right, now I know as a commissioner that I can say I can not extend an emergency uh, or have to, to continue this emergency declaration because we've hit the marks. No one can tell me that yet. So we're in this constant state of emergency. And I, and I expressed a little bit of my concern and, and what we're starting to hear from the public, and we had public comment about this, and we had written public comment also about this, that people didn't want us to extend the emergency declaration. They felt it was over and being blown out of proportion. And I think it's a fatigue thing. You know, what are we doing to the psychological uh, of, of psychologies of everybody with this constant state of emergency? You know, last week we had a caller that had an eight-year-old girl that was afraid to go to Disney because of COVID and was also afraid to go back to school because of COVID. Eight years old. And that is just scared to leave her own home and interact with people. You know, it, it harkened back to me to time during the Cold War when I was a child and about eight years old, when they used to have bomb drills in our schools. And, and you were supposed to either get in the closet or get under your desk, depending on where you were in the building. Some buildings that had basements, you went down to the basement. I remember at one point during the Cuban Missile Crisis, they actually split the classes up and took us around the neighborhood to houses that had basements. Uh, of course, I lived in the D.C. suburbs, which is sort of ground zero. Um, but you can imagine what kids had nightmares about in those days. And you can imagine today what kids are having nightmares about. And one of the things we talk about constantly when we talk about the public safety and criminal justice system and poverty and, and other issues for adults is how many adverse childhood experiences they have. And every one of those adverse childhood experiences or ACEs as, they, as the uh, our social work crowd likes to call them, uh, add up. And if you have more than so many, you are much more likely as an adult to be involved with the criminal justice system. You're much more likely as an adult to need social assistance at some time. You're much more likely as an adult to be homeless at some point. If you have, I think it's somewhere like five or six aces in your lifetime. And some of those things can be having a parent in jail, you know, trauma and stress. So, what are we doing to our kids in a constant state of emergency? How is that going to impact their lives as adults? You know, so we have to balance that. Somewhere along the line, we have to decide when is it time to say we're no longer in an emergency. I'm going to jump in here for just a second, Jay. Sure. Going back to what you're you were saying about the bomb threat. You probably remember the turtle named Bert for the duck and cover. What would uh, Bert say? Okay. So from history.com, I have up on the title screen right now. Uh, Bert ducks and covers. He's smart, and he's got a shelter on his back. You must learn to find shelter. So looking at that, I could see how that would traumatize uh, people, especially, you know, going what you went through. Yeah, it's, 
and we're basically now gotta wear your face mask, you know, and 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 people are modeling to kids horrible behaviors around, you know, um, attacking people that don't have their face mask on, or people that don't have a face mask on attacking someone who asked them to put a face mask on. You know, just it's like, oh my gosh, kids are witnessing these behaviors. You know. And if, and if if we're willing to get into fistfights over face masks, how dangerous do you think these kids are perceiving COVID to be? You know, just think about that for a minute. I don't remember anyone getting into fistfights because they didn't duck and cover. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's, I, I'm just, I'm concerned. And, and, we really need to start thinking about what does the end game look like? Because think about all the other communicable diseases and non-communicable diseases even in our society. We had the polio vaccine for a long time before we claimed any sort of victory in eradicating it. And even now it still pops up now then in some backwater. Um, But how long, you know, so from, vaccine to, you know, clear of polio in the U.S., how long did that take? I remember having classmates that had, had um, you know, weak legs from having polio. You know, it, it, it's not an unusual thing, but the polio vaccine had been around, you know, you know, since I was born. So is it the vaccine? We have diseases today we still don't have vaccines for, for. There is no vaccine against AIDS. There, you know, the HIV virus does not have a vaccine for it. For. There is no vaccine for the common cold, which is also a coronavirus. Of course, the common cold is a whole plethora of coronaviruses. It's just a, you know, a, a, Group, uh, symptoms that are caused by coronaviruses in general, but it's still no one's figured out how to cure the common cold. You know, if we get if we don't get a, a vaccine, is that going to you know mean that we're in constant state of emergency? If we get a vaccine, will we be out? Because you know, how long it take polio? How long it take us to wipe out smallpox? We kind of knew how to vaccinate for smallpox back in in revolutionary times. Think of all the diseases we don't have a vaccine for. We don't have a vaccine for SARS or MERS. We don't have a, a vaccine for lots of diseases. So you know, where 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 is victory? You know, you know it's, a, it's a good question to ask. But then I really ask the, the, probably the more important question. We handled other communicable disease and outbreaks here in Lane County without a state of emergency declared. The meningitis outbreak at the University of Oregon. We stood up an emergency operations center in our public health department. We had people doing contact tracing the whole bit. You know, we, we mobilized to get students vaccinated and, and the second follow-up vaccine. And we've been doing education work over at U of O, trying 
keep things that we did all that without a state of emergency. Of course, it wasn't nearly as big. It's not nearly quite as uh, as difficult. Um, but still, you know, what what do we? Why do we need a state of emergency? What couldn't we do? And what it really comes down to is our board of commissioners basically has control of our budget and our and our ability to apply for grants and spend grants and we've delegated a certain amount of authority to our county administrator so he doesn't have to come to us every time they want to buy paper clips in fact he's got a pretty big dollar range he can go into a hundred thousand dollars in spending or grant applications and never have to talk to us the problem is is with all the COVID relief funding, most of it's over $100,000. And with the way the state has completely bungled this distribution of the CARES Act COVID relief funds out to local governments, the rules change overnight. Suddenly money comes available or money that was available, the rules change and have you have to reapply or something like that. That if our county administrator had to wait till the next board meeting to get emergency authorization to make changes, we would miss out on funding opportunities. That's really what this comes down to. Being able to get those those reimbursements from the state of federal money we should have gotten straight delegated to us, uh, passed through like Portland got. We've talked about that on the show enough. I'm not going back to Portland gets everything. By the way, they do, but that's beside the point. But um, that's the real reason I voted yes on on continuing the emergency declaration is not to hamstring my county administrator of doing the great work he's done in leveraging some of these funds getting people the rent relief we've been able to give we've been able to give out even if it's a small pittance compared to what Portland's been able to do with rent relief because they got their money directly up front but I want him to be able to do those things uh, and and have that flexibility and that's why I supported extending the emergency declaration but really um, we're now seeing reports out of the CDC that say only 6% of the people who passed from COVID, only COVID, that that was the only thing that, that compromised their health. So everybody else had some other co-existing thing that, that, could have, that contributed to their death. Um, so we're, the mortality of this disease is, is being adjusted downward almost every every day it seems like now we're learning that uh steroid treatments are are effective for folks having in, in long longer term uh, reactions with the disease um, so we we get better and better at treating it so that even though we had this increase in cases this summer we really haven't had as big of an increase in deaths that, that went along with it. So as we go along and progress with this, our medical professionals have gotten better at treating it. So it's really not as deadly as we thought when we, when we first declared the emergencies. So 
I ask again for folks that support the idea of just a continual state of emergency, what does success look like? And have you balanced your need to have a state of emergency with the side effects of having a state of emergency? What's happening to the psyche of our children? Is it driving up suicides and other um, psychological uh, impacts like domestic violence? You know, is it causing stress on families because they, they're out of work, haven't gotten their unemployment from the state of Oregon, and are, are waiting for the other shoe to drop when one of these uh, eviction moratoriums finally gets lifted and they lose their housing? How much stress is that on people? And is, is that hurting their health worse than a very slim possibility that they'll pass over, slim possibility they'll catch COVID, and an even slimmer possibility that they'll die from COVID? Really would like to know what the end game is and when the restrictions are actually causing more health problems than the disease. No one can tell me where that balance is. And no one's really discussing it. So that's the disease part of the three horsemen of the apocalypse that visited me this week. Maybe we'll get to the, the flood part next, but I want to give folks a chance to call in. 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. We'll talk floodplain for a while and floodways. Because that's what we talked about in the afternoon at a public hearing. So, we, FEMA has this thing where they, they come around to various jurisdictions and look at your, your floodplain code to see if it's matching up with the flood insurance programs and their new rules and any changes they've made. And it's this... Um, committee that comes around basically and, and visits with various jurisdictions that have planning authority over the flood plain and floodway and development approval authority over the flood plain and floodway. So Lane County is one of those jurisdictions and we had our, our visit from the feds and the feds basically pointed out that we needed to upgrade our code in, in several spots to be in compliance with the newer federal code. And so we started on the uh, path of updating our code. And at the same time, the board did give direction, and I was there with them on some of this, that we might want to look at for, specifically for residential construction about looking at tightening up maybe some of the loopholes that kind of let people build some rather risky structures in floodways and even sometimes floodplains and see if we could maybe uh, increase the safety standards a little bit that might also help lower our flood insurance rates in this county. Um, it was just to, you know, uh, it, it'd be an incremental maybe sort of change. And staff did a good job coming back with something like that, ran it through the planning commission and planning commission and all, you know, vetted it and there's a lot of public comment. Um, and it came to the board yesterday, and during public comment, suddenly we got a bunch of environmental groups that want us to um, basically go to a complete prohibition of 
any development in floodways and eliminate any exceptions we have in the, that we have in the code, which we all, the exceptions we have are for really good reasons, and and basically even go beyond that. They want us to try and get into um, looking at the environmental um, aspects of development and floodways, floodways, um, and the, this portion of the code is specifically to deal with the, the life safety aspects. Um, there's other places in our code to deal with the Willamette Greenway, or if you're over on the coast, you know, estuaries and, and coastal zone overlays and other things where, where there's actual some, you know, standards that relate more to vegetation and, and disturbance of vegetation, maintaining buffers. Um, that's, that's in other places of our code. But it got the board sidetracked. Um, I tried to go ahead and move forward with the uh, the changes as um, staff recommended and was voted down on a 3-2 vote with the three um, progressive members of the board voting against um, just moving that ahead. And Commissioner Sorensen made a motion that he wanted something to come back in, in our public, our continued public hearing on October 6th that was more restrictive. And he kind of didn't really define that. So I kind of chimed up and said, you're asking staff to bring you a rock. Um, and you are, they already brought you a rock and you've told them you don't like that rock. You, can you describe the rock a little bit better? So they bring the right rock. Um, and that got him to actually you know, get him down to the brass tacks, which is he was going in the direction of some of the testimony. He wants to, a complete prohibition of any construction in the floodway. Now, mind you, how does a utility build an inlet structure for a water treatment plant if they can't get into the floodway where the water is? One of the exceptions we had to that, that floodway construction prohibition was for utilities, but he doesn't want utilities to be able, you know, he said, ah, they can work, they can work around it. You know, it's like, really? Pipelines have to cross rivers. <laughs> Sewage has to be discharged somewhere. Cleaned up and all that, but still does. Pump stations tend to be located right up against those because that's the lowest point that they then have to pump uphill to get to the treatment plant sometimes. Um, it's just there's so many utility facilities for a modern municipality that have to be located in the floodway and floodplain. Basically, what this is coming down to is I think if it was up to Commissioner Sorensen, he would be back to the 2010 proposal the Board of Commissioners made to put a 200-foot buffer around every waterway in Lane County and say no construction within 200 feet of any waterway. And I think that's what it's getting down to is we're back to trying to use our zoning code to take away people's rights to develop their property. So those folks that bought a lot up on the McKenzie years ago and it was their their retirement dream to build a home along the Mackenzie. You know, they want to try and change the rules on you. 
even though you would still have to, you know, if you built that home, you'd still have to adhere to the newer standards, which are now increasing some of the freeboard requirements from the flood, 100-year flood elevation. And it's still, I remember that, that waterway no-build buffer that they were proposing. When it got to the public hearing, this was before COVID, so many people showed up for that public hearing from all up and down the Mackenzie River, all up and down every, you know, the Siusaw River, Lake Creek, um, the Coast Fork, you name it. They came out and packed Harris Hall to the point you couldn't get into it. People were outside looking through the windows. I mean, literally, you could not move inside that room. People were sitting on the floor, the carpet down in front of the dais. You know, it it was incredible how many people came because people were upset about it. They couldn't run the meeting. They they eventually just adjourned the meeting because they were concerned that the fire marshal would show up and and everybody would be in big trouble because uh, definitely people were sitting in the aisleways, you know, and I I. If the board's going in this direction, I am going to predict, you know, even if we're a Zoom meeting, we're going to have, you know, a, a fire hall violation type meeting where we won't be able to get to even discussing it because the public testimony is going to take 10 hours. I mean, they didn't get to the public testimony in that last proposal. And after that meeting, they yanked it off the table suddenly because they realized how unpopular it was. But they have to have a good life safety reason for everything they do in code when it, if they're going to take away property rights without having to compensate. And I don't think what they're proposing is about life safety. It's just about a desire to, to move all development away from any stream now, of course, the next thing they tell you is you can't build on a steep hillside because that's bad, too. So I don't know where we're going to build in Lane County. You know, and that's that may be the end goal of some of these these groups uh, like Lamb Watch. Uh, it seems like they don't really want us to have housing. It's funny as some of these same people will show up and complain about the homeless situation. So don't look away because of COVID. Watch what your county commission is doing because they're getting ready to take away private property rights. October 6th at 1.30 is the next continued hearing on this. Pay attention, people. If you don't pay attention, you're going to lose your property rights. So fire, disease, and floods, that's been my week. How's your week going? Give me a call here on the Bose Nose Show, 646-721-9887. Maybe we can talk about some of the other things that have gone on around the area. Or maybe we can talk about some things that have gone on up in Portland. Seems like Mayor Ted's got a little problem with his, with his, uh, you know, his rioters, you know, his, his all fun and games when it was, you know, us against the Trump, you know, federal 
you know, agencies that were trying to protect the federal courthouse. We were going to go out there and stand with them and we we're going to get tear gassed with them and all that stuff. Well, when they show up to your condo, I guess your condo association says, Ted, why don't you think about moving out for a while? <laughs> and uh, it looks like he's moving out uh, from his condo because they showed up Monday night on his birthday and set fire to part of it. And so the building that is, and there's a hundred some other, other units in that building. So Mayor Ted's having to move out of his 800 and some thousand dollar condo. Uh, and I guess get a hotel room temporarily. Trying to at least protect the life safety of the people there. But, you know, it seems like maybe you just ought to start thinking about reestablishing law and order in your city, Ted. I think we should start by putting him in a Motel 6. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave the light on for him. For him. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, they were trying to leave the light on for him on his birthday there, uh, you know, kind of catching some furniture on fire in the lobby and stuff. Uh, I, this is getting out of hand in some ways. Uh, yeah, we We really... You know, Martin Luther King said it, violence does not solve anything. You know, it doesn't cure hatred. You know, it only, you know, basically it said only, he said only love can cure hatred. I don't have the direct quote in front of me. It's a great quote of his. Um, but he definitely did not support the idea of violence. Yet a lot of these folks that are out there are, you know, would hold him up and, and as, as an icon, yet they're out there committing violence. I mean, when you light fire to a structure that's occupied, you're basically attempting murder. If that's not violence, I don't know what is. I mean, when they when they went to that one police precinct and liquid cemented door closed and then tried to set fire to the precinct, is that not attempted murder? Doesn't matter that the folks inside were law enforcement officers. They're still people. They have a right to life. A basic right to life. Liberty. You know, the, you, you remember that? Does that start to sound familiar? Pursuit of happiness? When is somebody going to say that these folks are violating people's rights? You know, they're out there, they're all upset because they think somebody's rights were violated, but they're violating other people's rights left and right. Two wrongs don't make a right. Take them. Take a lesson from Mahatma Gandhi. Learn how to do peaceful civil dis disobedience where you don't harm anybody. In fact, you even allow yourself to be harmed, no more than the lunch counter folks or the folks that walked across that bridge in Selma. They knew they were going to be attacked, yet they did it anyway because the picture of that I, of those folks actually doing the attacking was worse than having a, a conflict 
as far as you know, worse for the other side. You know, if you really are concerned about police brutality, do something peaceful. And if it's something that is illegal, expect to be arrested, but don't resist arrest. Don't have to aid an arrest, but expect to be arrested. If you're going to do a sit-in somewhere where you're going to get trespassed and you're going to get charged with trespass, expect to be arrested and booked. Do it peacefully, though. And then if somebody does use excessive force, it, it actually helps your side. But if you're coming at them with force from the get-go, throwing frozen water bottles, shining lasers and eyes and, and shooting marbles out of wrist rockets and ball bearings, you lose all moral high ground. Your message is gone. And this is a lesson too for even the other side. I mean, there's no point in in the Patriot Prayer guys, you know, running downtown and pickup trucks just to try and confront. That doesn't help our side. Now, if you want to go down peacefully, unarmed, and sit in front of whatever building's being targeted by the rioters that night and let them, you know, have the choice of pushing through people that are sitting peacefully uh, and being videotaped while doing that, that'd be a great way of counter-protesting. You might get hurt, but, you know, the folks that Mahatma Gandhi sent to make salt in India knew they were going to get whipped with canes, but they kept going at it. So the guards couldn't lift their arms with the canes anymore. Eventually, Britain gave up on India through peaceful civil disobedience. The empire released one of its largest holdings. Learn Mahatma Gandhi, folks. Condemn the violence, no matter who it is. I don't care if it's the Antifa folks or or some kind of anarchist group or if it's the Patriot prayer folks or, or um, you know, any of those guys. If, if your intent is to have a violent conflict, I do not support you. So, got about eight minutes or so in the show here. Want to give folks a chance to get in, and, and I've thrown a lot of red meat out there. We can talk about fires and arsonists, or just how much how much you're thankful to the to the uh, guys that are out there fighting the fires. Um, how thankful you are to the, the detectives and all that at at the at the sheriff and OSP for getting the guy that actually lit the fires. You know, we can talk about that. We can talk a little bit about COVID. You know, should we still be under a state of emergency? When should we lift the state of emergency? Is it as bad as we really think? What 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 are the side effects of some of the shutdown? 
and we can talk about floodplain and floodway, which, by the way, I have a very unique perspective about because in my career as a civil engineer, I used to do flood elevation studies. So I've actually done the engineering work to establish those, those elevations that they show on the map. And I've actually done map amendment applications and run them all the way through FEMA through approval. So I understand how the modeling all works. It's been around since the 70s. It gets calibrated and recalibrated. In fact, they just redid the uh, North Fork of the Saisla with the brand new LIDAR topography which is a much more accurate topography. But one of the things we have with floods is there's been historic events where we knew the rainfall amounts were measured and the river level, you know, that, that came about from that rainfall were measured. So you can kind of put them into a model and, and see if you can come out with the same thing. Unlike the climate models, which is pretty, you know, you, I, I still want folks to try and go back to say, 1900 or 1850 and we knew what the weather was since that time we knew what the starting point maybe in atmospheric carbon dioxide and what the changes were over time where we have pretty good estimates and run their models and see if they end up with today's weather or climate haven't seen anyone do that successfully yet, yet but we're supposed to believe all those models about what's going to happen 40 years from now or 100 years from now at least with floodplain modeling, they calibrate them against historic events. And then they update them and run them again. Some of the best modeling we have, particularly here on the West Coast, where the storm events are much more similar uh, in type and, and uh, intensity, et cetera. Where East Coast is a little bit harder because some area may never have recorded a, a, a direct hit from a tropical storm coming over top of them. So it, it, you may not have good historic data or you may get an unusual set of circumstances, like a hurricane that stalls over an area. <coughs> Excuse me. So, All sorts of stuff you can talk about here on the Bose Nose Show, <clears throat> including anything else you want to talk about. But really, um, I, I haven't given out the What Were You Thinking Award for a while. And I want to give it out to my fellow Commissioner Sorensen, who basically stated publicly that, that he didn't want to have any utility facilities in the floodway even after I explained to him about water intakes and sewage treatment plants, et cetera, he still thought we didn't need to have anything ever built in a floodway. So I don't know what you were thinking, Commissioner Sorensen, but here's your award for this week. <coughs> you know, you know, forgot to grab a glass of water before I got on the air today. And I had Folks can tell that. I don't know if you want to share or not, but you also had another event over this weekend that's kind of a kind of sad. Yeah, uh, you know, I try and stay away from talking about personal life too much, and especially personal tragedy, because I don't, I, I don't 
any hurt that I am, I don't really like feeling and and engineer and all that stuff. So I'm not asking for sympathy, but we did have a really tough weekend. So I don't know if Elizabeth take a trip by ambulance to the ER. Uh, one of them. Yep, we just lost audio. We did. Oh, now you're back. Okay. Um, so over the weekend, not only did uh, Elizabeth go to the ER, uh, you know, with what could have been heart attack symptoms, <clears throat> turned out not to be. Um, we uh, had one of our our dogs start going downhill. That was our oldest dog that also is, has cancer. And Monday we had to, you know, send him over the rainbow bridge. So it's been a been a tough week. You know, first there's fire, then there's an ambulance ride, then there's another fire, then we have to say goodbye to one of our our beloved pets. Um, needless to say, I was pretty distracted by the time the board meeting came around on Tuesday, but still managed to participate. But, but, it's been a tough week here at Bozovich household. But, you know, it's not as tough as being evacuated from your house for days, which is, you know, the folks there on Hadsall Creek Road, um, I, I hope everything's good with you. hope you're staying healthy. I, I know the Red Cross put those families up in hotels because they can't do a group shelter anymore because <laughs> of COVID. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping everything's okay with everybody there and everybody stayed safe. I hope all the firefighters stay safe that are out there fighting the fire. That's some really rough terrain. I hope our road crews stay safe. I hope the sheriff and the Marine Patrol folks stay safe. Um, you know, and I hope folks don't go down there to gawk. There's enough traffic as it is. Um, please stay away. And with that, I'll just say, Thank you, thank you, thank you to all the, the responders and every all the cooperating agencies from Friday night all the way through this fires in Mapleton. I think they're calling them the Sweet Creek Two Fire is the name of the, what they the official name of the fire. And uh, my hats off to all you guys. And. Uh, you know, I might I might have a tough week, but I didn't get yanked away from my home in Josephine County or Scapoose and and thrown out there in Mapleton um, and fighting fire. So we're going to be back next week. And next week, I've got a guest coming on who just finished a book on Dennis Richardson. So we're talking to him next week, and that should be interesting. And uh, then we'll get back to the normal Bozno's stuff after we talk a little Dennis Richardson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.